is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, we'll cover a lot of these issues that are out there related to the uh, Mueller investigation and the spies and all. You know, I was listening to one guy this morning on my satellite radio this time, and the fellow, the poor guy, was doing the show we did on Thursday, Mr. Producer. Isn't today Monday? All right, look. We've moved the ball on this last March. Talked about spying at some length. We're not going to, you know, revert back to that particular time frame. I've done that. Spent a lot of time talking about you can't indict a sitting president. We advanced the ball on that issue, too, as you know now. Everybody repeats that, and that's a good thing. On Hannity last Thursday, I also made the point that the President of the United States needs to appoint a U.S. attorney. Just pick one of the U.S. attorneys to investigate what took place in this election in terms of federal interference, the spying, the FISA court, and so forth. The President of the United States, who watches the Hannity show religiously, obviously took what I said, but did it did even something better. He didn't wait for Mueller to report to the Deputy Attorney General. He simply told the Justice Department, investigate this. And uh, apparently, at least to some extent, Rosenstein has agreed. We'll get into that a little later in the program. There's something actually that is very, very important that I want to discuss with you. And that is the appointment of Robert Mueller in the first place. The appointment of Robert Mueller violates the United States Constitution. And every subpoena, indictment, and plea agreement should be viewed as null and void. I'm not saying this, again, to be provocative, but we're going to lay it on the table. I hope every lawyer who's involved in this investigation is listening to me, whether they serve the president or any of the defendants in the case, or any suspects or any witnesses. Because you have a very strong constitutional argument to make. And I want to walk you through this. Because you're a smart audience. That's why you're here. I could just go through the websites and hit all the talking points and all the links and so But you want more than that. And first I want to give a significant hat tip to a very dear friend of mine. We worked together in the Meese Justice Department. He was special counsel. A real special counsel, not the Mueller type. To the Attorney General, Ed Meese, in the Reagan administration. I was chief of staff at the time. And he went on to be a superb law professor at Northwestern Law School. So over the weekend, he put together an opinion. Very well searched, 16, 17 pages, uh, relevant footnotes, case law citations. And And he said, look, let me lower this here. The appointment of Mueller, particularly Mueller, violates the Appointments Clause of the Constitution. It violates the Appointments Clause of the Constitution, which is in Article 2. Here in part is what he wrote to me. 
Robert Mueller has behaved like all the United States attorneys. They are principal officers of the United States. Principal officers, not inferior officers. We'll get to this distinction in a moment. It's crucial. All principal officers must be nominated by the President of the United States for consideration by the United States Senate, which will either reject or confirm. Mueller has not behaved like an assistant United States attorney who is an inferior officer and who may be appointed by a principal officer like a deputy attorney general like Rosenstein. Mueller's appointment is, therefore, unconstitutional. Under Chief Justice Rehnquist, the late Chief Justice Rehnquist, majority opinion in Morrison v. Olson back in 1988, because it takes away, quote-unquote, too much executive power from the president. In other words, the president doesn't even have the opportunity to nominate because Rosenstein essentially seized the presidential power to nominate a principal officer and cut out the Senate. It is unconstitutional. Because Mueller does not have a boss who is supervising and directing what he's doing. So he's not an inferior officer. You know, the bureaucracy is filled with inferior officers. That is, we're not saying they're inferior human beings. Inferior as opposed to principles. Principles are required to get Senate confirmation. Inferior appointees are not. We have a bureaucracy with two million people. The overwhelming majority, the vast majority, are considered inferior. They're not presidential appointments. And in the case of the Deputy Attorney General, he has deliberately abstained from playing a significant, daily, regular management and oversight role over Mueller. In fact, he's basically a rubber stamp. The appointment of Mueller in the first instance was extraordinarily broad, but it's only gotten broader since. Now, here's what the Appointments Clause of Article 2 says. I'm walking this with you, walking it through with you, because this will become an issue down the road starting tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. So you heard it here first, and I want to go through some of what my friend wrote to me. The Appointments Clause of Article 2, here's what it says. The President shall nominate, and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, Judges of the Supreme Court and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for and which shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the president alone and in the courts of law and in the heads of departments. In other words, you have levels of these principal officers who are required to be nominated and confirmed by the Senate in order to hold these principal positions. And then you have all the rest. Who serve them. Principal officers are selected by the president with the advice and consent of the Senate. Inferior officers, Congress may allow to be appointed by the president alone, by the heads of departments, or by the judiciary. Let me give you a perfect example. The Department of Justice. Let's take the mothership, the Department of Justice. The Attorney General of the United States is a principal officer. In order to serve in that position, you must be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. The deputy attorney general of the United States, the lower next level, must be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. The associate attorney general of the United States, the number three down, must be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. 
Then you have a number of assistant attorneys general for antitrust, for civil, for civil rights, and so forth and so on. Even they are considered principal officers. They can only serve in those positions if they are nominated by the President of the United States and confirmed by the Senate. Every single United States attorney in this country has to be nominated by the President of the United States and confirmed by the Senate. Not assistant U.S. attorneys, line attorneys and so forth, because their day-to-day activity is managed by the United States attorney. The United States attorney. But they have a number of assistant attorneys general, depending on the size of the office, many. And they, of course, are not principal officers. They do not need to be nominated. So is Mr. Mueller more like an assistant uh, uh, U.S. attorney or more like a United States attorney? Is there a United States attorney in the country more powerful than Mr. Mueller? Not one. Particularly under the so-called management of Rod Rosenstein, which is, which is nearly non-existent. It has been long-standing practice of Congress and the executive branch to give principal officers a status to all important and powerful public officials, even if they have a boss who can fire them. So, cabinet secretaries have always been treated as being principal officers, even though they can be fired by the president. Deputy and assistant cabinet secretaries, all of whom must be nominated and confirmed by the Senate, are also principal officers, even though they can be fired by the cabinet secretary they report to, as well as the president. But their jobs are considered important. So it's unthinkable, for example, he writes, that the deputy secretaries of state or of defense or of the Department of Justice could be made an inferior officer on the say-so of their bosses. These officials simply exercise too much power to be denominated inferior officers. They are instead principal officers who must be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. That's your appointments clause. Even the federal judiciary. We find that federal court of appeals judges and federal district judges have always been treated as being principal officers, even though their decisions can be overruled by the Supreme Court. No one thinks or should think that Congress could vest in the Supreme Court the power to appoint lower court judges or inferior judges. It's obvious that lower federal court judges must be principal officers nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate, even though their very existence isn't even in the Constitution. And it's obvious that Robert Mueller is behaving much more like a U.S. attorney than he is behaving like an assistant U.S. attorney. Mueller has acted and has behaved like a principal officer, even though he was never nominated by the president or confirmed by the Senate. Now, I've said that five times because it's important. The text of the appointments clause in your Constitution and the use of the word inferior elsewhere in the Constitution makes it clear says Calabrese, that there are two prerequisites that must be met for someone to be an inferior officer and therefore not subject to nomination or confirmation. First, one must have a boss who the inferior officer reports to who can direct or fire the inferior officer. Okay, fine. The second, an office cannot be inferior if the officer exercises as much power as is exercised by every United States attorney and even more and the deputy and assistant cabinet secretaries, or even more. This second test as to officer inferiority is somewhat subjective in close cases 
But it's very real nonetheless. If a prosecutor has as much power as a U.S. attorney, he's by definition a principal officer of the United States who must be nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate. Now, obviously, there are differences. In some ways, the U.S. attorney is more powerful in terms of the breadth of what he can investigate or she. But in some ways, Mr. Mueller is more powerful in the nature of who he is investigating and how he's investigating them. So the issue isn't an exact parallel. For instance, a U.S. attorney has to be nominated and confirmed. An assistant secretary of agriculture has to be nominated and confirmed. The point is the breadth of their power that they exercise and the impact of that power and whether or not they are truly effectively under the management control of somebody else. And even so, it depends on what kind of control we're talking about. An assistant secretary of agriculture reports to the deputy assistant secretary of agriculture, who reports to the secretary of agriculture. So it's understood that we're not just talking about the heads of a department, the heads of an agency, or, the, or in the case of a U.S. attorney, uh, the heads of an office. Is there any question about Mr. Mueller's power? Justice Scalia, Justice Scalia, as Professor Calabrese points out, summarizes the history of the Appointments Clause in Edmund versus United States from 1997. He said, as we recognized in Buckley versus Vallejo, that was a free speech campaign uh, contribution case in 1976. The Appointments Clause of Article 2 is more than a matter of etiquette or protocol. It is among the significant structural safeguards of the constitutional scheme. By vesting the president with the exclusive power to select the principal non-inferior officers of the United States. The president, not the deputy attorney general, the president. The appointments clause prevents congressional encroachment upon the executive and judicial branches. This disposition, this is Scalia, was also designed to assure a higher quality of appointments. The framers anticipated that the president would be less vulnerable to interest group pressure and personal favoritism than would a collective body. Hamilton wrote in Federalist 76, the sole and undivided responsibility of one man will naturally beget a livelier sense of duty and a more exact regard to reputation. The president's power to select principal officers of the United States was not left unguarded. Of course, under Article 2, it further requires the advice and consent of the Senate. This serves both to curb the executive abuses of the appointment power and to promote a judicious choice of persons for filling the offices of the union. So the appointment of Mueller, in my view, and Calabrese's view, fails on two fronts. Number one, the deputy attorney general doesn't get to make an appointment of a man that's so powerful, of a public official, and therefore usurp the power of the president. Only the president can nominate such a person. And number two... It undermines the power and the role of the Senate under our Constitution because they get a bite at the apple, too. They get to determine whether or not that official should serve or not. And this is why it is amazing to see senators, Republicans, running to vote to protect Mueller. They do not even understand the Department of Justice memoranda when it comes to you cannot indict a sitting president, yet they want to protect the man. They do not understand separation of powers and the appointments clause. And these are people, your lawmakers. Now, I'm going to take a break. Stick with me. We're going to keep walking through this. I can't go back to what I just said in order to, um, uh, to, to have everybody catch up every segment. So keep in mind where we are. And we're going to proceed from there. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
just don't come on here and repeat things I read on websites and the newspapers. Some of them deserve to be addressed, but just not repeated. I mean, why give voice almost word for word for something that you've already read? I'm a thinker, and if you're listening to this program, you're a thinker. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. We think these things through. I told you, I told you what I do during the weekends and at nights and so forth and so on. And we're going to walk through this further because I'm not done. According to the Supreme Court, the Appointments Clause is an absolutely critical feature of the separation of powers and presidential power. In other words, the Senate has to have a role and an inferior executive branch appointee like a deputy attorney general cannot usurp the power of the president, the elected president, who is his boss, by making an appointment that violates the Appointments Clause of the Constitution. And in this case, the reason it does is because Mr. Mueller, in exercising the power he's exercising, is way beyond the kind of power that an inferior officer would exercise. Now, I'm going to get into that in more detail. Some people say, what about Ken Starr? Happy to oblige. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Making conservatism great again. Dial in now. 877-381-3811. Scalia said in part, in the context of a clause, the appointments clause, designed to preserve political accountability relative to important government assignments, we think it evident that inferior officers, that is, people who do not get nominated and confirmed by the Senate, are officers whose work is directed and supervised at some level by others who were appointed by presidential nomination with the advice and consent of the Senate. This understanding of the Appointments Clause confirms, conforms with the views of the first Congress. On July 27, 1789, Congress established the first executive department, the Department of Foreign Affairs. And in so doing, it expressly designated the Secretary of the Department as a principal officer and his subordinate, the Chief Clerk of the Department, as an inferior officer. And by the way, the Department of Justice wasn't created in the Constitution. I believe it was created in the 1840s or thereabouts. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is by design not supervising and directing the work, the actual work that Robert Mueller is doing. So Mueller can't be an inferior officer under the Scalia test in Edmund versus United States. Now, let me sum it up this way. Uh, or better yet, let me point out what Calabrese points out. Mueller is not an inferior officer under Scalia's test of officer inferiority. Because Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is not supervising and directly Mueller's work, but is rubber stamping it. Mueller is in effect and in practice exercising the powers of a principal officer even though he has not been nominated by the president or confirmed by the Senate. Mueller is also not an inferior officer under the late Chief Justice Rehnquist test, in his majority opinion in this Morrison versus Olson opinion in 1988. Two of the reasons the Supreme Court gave for finding Alexa Morrison, the independent counsel at that point, to be an inferior officer, were that, number one, she was empowered to perform only certain limited duties, and two, she had limited jurisdiction. 
On the facts of the case, Chief Justice Rehnquist concluded at the end of his opinion that the statute which authorized Marson's appointment, which has since sunsetted out of existence, did not interfere too much with presidential power to control the executive branch. Now, this conclusion seems defensible on the facts of that case. Only one government official, Ted Olson, was prosecuted, which was the unlawful withholding of documents from Congress, and by the way, an outrageous prosecution. Now, at the time the prosecution was brought, Ted Olson had left public office and was a private citizen. This was a case where the special counsel was, one, performing only certain limited duties, and two, had only limited jurisdiction. Accordingly, the Supreme Court was probably right in concluding that on the facts of the Morrison case, the special counsel was not interfering too much on presidential power. I disagree with that, but that's fine. In Mueller's case, however, Mueller is investigating whether the sitting president of the United States obstructed justice by firing Mueller's longtime friend Jim Comey to conceal collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia into the 2016 presidential election. Instead of pursuing only one person on a limited matter, Mueller has, without any real supervision by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, indicted Paul Manafort, Trump's former campaign manager on two counts of misconduct having nothing to do with collusion with Russia, indicted and accepted a plea bargain from Michael Flynn, Trump's former NSA director uh, advisor, for the crime of lying to government <laughs> officials, an offense which Comey's guilty of and for which he's not been prosecuted, by the way, obtained a similarly dubious plea bargain with former Trump campaign official George Papadopoulos, indicting 13 Russian citizens and three Russian business entities, a decision which has major foreign policy consequences, prosecuted Richard Penido and Dutch attorney Alex Vanderswan, subpoenaed numerous additional people, wiretapped calls covered by, that is, wiretapped for phone numbers, attorney-client privilege uh, by uh, uh, the president's longtime personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, and referred information illegally obtained, one might argue, to the office of the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. But even if it wasn't illegally obtained, we're talking about the wide breadth of this investigation. Mueller's investigation, whether he admits it or not, of course, has made controlled leaks of information to the press designed to embarrass the president and hinder him in the performance of his duties. And his investigation has dominated the headlines for over a year now, distracting the president from performing his job and making Mueller far more powerful and well-known than any of the United States attorneys, all of whom are considered principal officers nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Mueller's work is not being supervised and controlled by Principal Officer Rod Rosenstein. He rubber stamps it. This investigation is not limited in scope or jurisdiction. To the contrary, Mueller's investigation is breathtaking in scope. His indictment of Russian citizens and business entities interferes with the president's ability to control foreign policy with Russia. And it goes on. And there's no question at all that Mueller has behaved over the past year as if he were a principal officer of the United States. Even though he has never been nominated by the president or confirmed by the Senate, and I would add to underscore Calabrese's point, he's built an office like a U.S. attorney. He's got, I think, 17 effectively assistant special counsel. He's best analogized to a U.S. attorney and not to an assistant U.S. attorney. So even Mueller who has a boss and Deputy Attorney General Ron Rosenstein, is not an inferior officer in any meaningful way. Now, what he means by that is we have over 90 United States attorneys. 
And they all, at least theoretically, report to Maine Justice. They all theoretically report to the Deputy Attorney General of the United States who usually handles the criminal side of the Justice Department. So the fact that Mueller reports, theoretically at least, to Rosenstein doesn't mean he's an inferior officer at all, just like the U.S. attorneys are not inferior officers. While uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is a principal officer and could take actions against Mueller, he cannot delegate his principal officer status to Mueller any, any more or any way that Donald Trump could delegate his power to veto legislation to Mueller. In other words, Mueller doesn't have the power to delegate the kind of authority to, excuse me, Rosenstein does not have the kind of power to delegate the kind of authority to Mueller that he's, that he's delegated. He doesn't have that power. He does not have this power to step in the shoes of the President of the United States and then to step into the shoes of all the United States Senators. Rosenstein does not have that power. And so Calabrese concludes, as do I. Calabrese concludes, as do I, that Mueller's appointment is unconstitutional. Everything that flows from it, the fruit of the poisonous tree, the plea agreements, the subpoenas, the indictments, are all null and void. So how do you test this? People have commented, well, okay, we'll get rid of them. It doesn't work that way, now does it? Every defendant in this case, Manafort's lawyers, Flynn's lawyers, Gates' lawyers, Papadopoulos' lawyers, all of them should be raising this issue with every court before which they're required to appear. Now, what about the Ken Starr case where he investigated a whole bunch of stuff that was handed to him by Attorney General Janet Reno? He didn't do it on his own. She kept throwing these issues to him because she didn't want to appoint another special, excuse me, independent counsel. Ken Starr was appointed under a federal statute the independent counsel statute. I never thought it was constitutional, but eight out of the nine Supreme Court justices did, and Scalia was the one dissent in Morrison versus Olson, the Ted Olson case. There are all kinds of levels of oversight on Ken, on Ken Starr. There was a special court that was set up, a special court for the division of the independent counsel that had three judges on it. I know because I litigated in front of that court in the Iran-Contra matter. And it was a secret court. If we had an issue, say in the Iran-Contra matter with the independent counsel Lawrence Walsh, I could bring the matter before that court. And of course the attorneys general, whether it was in the Ken Starr case or the, uh, or the case involving uh, Walsh, had a procedure, a statutory procedure that they would be required to go through in order to remove them. So even though they exercised this kind of enormous power, and for the purposes of the Morrison versus Olson case, were said to be inferior officials, there are no such checks on Mr. Mueller. There's no special division court for this special counsel. He doesn't exist by a matter of statute. He exists by a matter of Department of Justice regulation. His initial appointment did involve specific statutes, criminal statutes, as we have discussed. So I'm blue in the face. It was a very broad appointment. 
And his appointment since then has even broadened, even further. It's more broad than it was before. Broader, I should say. Moreover, when you look at the 49 areas of the questions that Mr. Mueller wanted to pose to the President of the United States, why did you fire Mr. Comey? Why didn't you like my appointment? Uh, What did you say to Jeff Sessions and so forth? This is exactly the kind of power. By the way, illegitimate, but exactly the kind of power that is supposed to be controlled and limited. But it isn't controlled and limited. Not by the Deputy Attorney General, and the Attorney General has recused himself. So I think a very strong argument could be made, and ought to be made, by all the defendants in this case, all the witnesses who do not wish to be witnesses anymore, all the individuals receiving subpoenas who do not wish to respond to subpoenas, all the people who've been notified that their subjects or even targets of this investigation should walk into the respective federal district court and make the case that the appointment of Mr. Mueller is unconstitutional under the Appointments Clause. And we know the handful of cases that these judges will look at. It'll all depend on whether the judge is fair or a leftist, quite frankly. But you still make your point. You still make your case. Manafort's lawyers will amend their arguments to Judge Ellis. And the others should, too. Make the case. And I would even go further than my friend Calabrese. There's nothing Mr. Mueller's doing in terms of the prosecution of Manafort, what he did with Flynn, what he's done with Papadopoulos, what he's done with Gates, that a normal U.S. attorney couldn't handle. But a normal U.S. attorney has to be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. So two points. Half or much of what Mr. Mueller is doing is the work of a United States Attorney's Office, which underscores the point that he is a principal officer. The other half of what Mueller is doing, chasing the President of the United States with these broad inquiries, broad areas, underscores even further that he's not an inferior employee. An assistant United States Attorney could no way do what Mueller's doing. No way. In fact, in many respects, a United States attorney couldn't do what Mueller's doing. Man, I wish I were involved making these cases. I really do. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. We try to move the ball here, folks. We don't try to play ping pong with ourselves. You know, good news, folks. Hillsdale College is offering their free online Constitution 101 course again, but only for a limited time. So register right away at levinforhillsdale.com. Hillsdale is the authority on teaching the Constitution, and you can take the course based on the same curriculum that Hillsdale students use, taught by the same amazing professors. Choose to 1 million people have registered. Close to 1 million people have registered. And if you haven't, you should. I know this research I'm about to share with you doesn't apply to you, my listeners. 
But one in three Americans can't name a single right protected by the First Amendment. I think most of them are in Congress, by the way. The First Amendment, and only 25% can name all three branches of government. But get this, 33% can't name any branch, not even one. So you know what? We need to help make sure that our fellow Americans understand not just these, these facts, but our constitutional rights, too. Each one of us has a responsibility here for our own sakes and the nation's sake. Constitution 101 provides you the perfect overview. So register at levinforhillsdale.com. You'll even get a free pocket constitution just for signing up. You have to know liberty to defend liberty. And that's what Hillsdale College is all about. Levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, let's see here. Oh, perfect. I think I lost my... uh... All right, Mr. Producer, do we have a really good caller out there, do you think? We don't. We have a bunch of call the bull the board's full. Oh, Mr. Producer's tougher than I am. Sirius Satellite, John in South Carolina. Prove Mr. Producer wrong. Go. Yes, Mark. I need to know what is the statute of limitations on this oh, endless list of crimes? And also Well hold on, hold on, hold on. what crimes? Uh, well, you've got obstruction of justice, destroying evidence. You've of got, whom? Uh, who are we talking about? Uh, well, uh, the Mueller case, the Hillary case. Okay, the, sir, are you saying Hillary's case where they destroyed documents? The Mueller case where he didn't destroy documents, he's the prosecutor. Wh- what are you talking about? The Hillary case. Yeah. But, you know, do you have any... I think, this, I, I think the statute of limitations is probably five years. I'd have to look up each issue, but uh, my guess is time is a running out. Well, that's given us uh, an explanation there of why they're dragging the clock down, if you know what I mean. Right. And the other, the other question I have for you, sir, is that uh, Jeff Sessions... Something's amiss here. What do you want me to do? Every night people call about Jeff Sessions. I've already said what I have to say about Jeff Sessions. It's like it's like kicking a dog all the time. What do you want me to say? Well, it doesn't make sense, Mark. I know, but what do you want me to say? I already said he should step down. He's way too passive in the face of all these violations. That's my opinion. But he's not going to step down. I'm sorry. He's not stepping down. There's nothing I can do about it. It's like people posting now. Okay, Mark, great. The appointment's closed. What are you going to do about it? I can't do anything about it. I'm not a litigator in this case. I don't represent any of the defendants. It's these, some people, I mean, really, a talk show host is that powerful? I'm making the case. So the lawyers out there who are actually have involved in the case, whose clients have standing. So the president and his lawyers in the case who have standing. So the people at the Justice Department who have official positions can hear what I say. I can't say, hey, Mark's here. You know what? You're fired, and you're fired, and you're this, and you're that. All right, sir, thank you for your call. I'm trying to give the arguments that can be used, like now the president's lawyers understand. According to the Department of Justice, he can't be indicted. The Constitution helps him. The Department of Justice rules help him. Or early on, March 2017, laying out as best I could the case cobbled together in the media— on why there was spying, there was espionage going on, domestic political espionage. I called it police state tactics. I talked about a silent coup, went into it at great length. I can't stop it. I can talk about it and lay it out there for members of Congress and 
and other people to, to, uh, to know about it. And, of course, on Thursday when I said the President of the United States at some point should have a U.S. attorney investigate the spies, the FISA activities, and all the rest, the President did even better. He didn't wait. And he directed the Justice Department to do it, for which he's very courageous and deserves kudos. More when I return. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark. Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. The President of the United States met with the FBI Director and the Deputy Attorney General today, and the Press Secretary issued the following statement. Based on the meeting with the president, the Department of Justice has asked the inspector general to expand its current investigation to include any irregularities with the Federal Bureau of Investigations or the Department of Justice's tactics concerning the Trump campaign. It was also agreed that White House Chief of Staff Kelly will immediately set up a meeting with the FBI, the DOJ, the Department of National Intelligence together with congressional leaders, to review highly classified and other information they have requested. Many of you have called here and say, why doesn't the president do this or do that? Well, he just did something big. When I was on Hannity on the Fox News channel last Thursday, Thursday night, I said the following, go. You talk about the spies, you talk, it wasn't just one FISA court judge that was given phony information that was never verified, never corroborated, never were they told that Hillary bought and paid for this information with a foreign agent. Where are the, where's Congress? Why won't Congress bring for these FISA judges before them and demand to know how they feel about being lied to? I'll tell you why. Because unlike the Democrats, the Republicans scatter like rats. They scatter. You have certain Republicans Weak. who throw in with the Democrats because they want to destroy this president. They can't get over the fact that he got elected, and they can't get over the fact the American people didn't follow them. The American people don't even know who they are. But I want to emphasize something here so your guests in the future can repeat what I'm going to say, which is this. We need an accounting of what Mr. Brennan did, of what Mr. Clapper did, of what Mr. Book Salesman Comey did. We need an accounting of what Susan Rice did, of what Samantha Powers did. We haven't even gotten into the unmasking stuff yet. Not because we want to get even, because we need an accounting. People need to be held to account, number one. Number two, we need to fix these departments and agencies. Mark, if we don't fix it, we lose our country. All right, so anyway. That was Thursday night. The president tweeted Sunday, and the president held a meeting today. And the press secretary again just issued this statement, just issued it. Based on the meeting with the president, the Department of Justice has asked the inspector general to expand its current investigation to include any irregularities with the FBI, Department of Justice tactics concerning the Trump campaign. 
And it goes on to other matters, too. I'm telling you, we know how to do this. I brought up to you tonight, spurred on by an outstanding opinion piece written to me, and we'll see if we can get it published, by Stephen Calabrese, professor, Northwestern Law School. And it's his opinion, and I share it, that Robert Mueller's appointment is unconstitutional. Not for all the reasons the former prosecutors, the former professors, the former this and that will say. No, no, no. It's much more fundamental than that. The professor, and now I, have looked at these Supreme Court decisions, and he's right. He's right. It violates the Appointments Clause. Every special counsel or every independent counsel does not necessarily violate the Appointments Clause. This one does. This one does. For a number of reasons. Number one, his original appointment was enormously broad. Didn't even provide any criminal statutes. Number two, he's broadened it beyond that. Well beyond that. Number three, the oversight that takes place isn't really oversight at all. The Deputy Attorney General is a rubber stamp. Number four, this special counsel is more powerful than any United States attorney in the country. He is a principal officer. He's not an inferior officer like an assistant United States attorney reporting day after day after day to the U.S. attorney. That's not happening here. It's a very strong argument under the Appointments Clause. In this particular case, given these set of facts, and that's what you have to look at. I'm not making an across-the-board argument that you can never have a special counsel. In this case, this special counsel, under this appointment, his broadened authority, under this deputy attorney general, the lack of oversight, the attorney general's recused himself, the deputy attorney general might as well have recused himself. This is the, the perfect instance in which to challenge the appointment in this case. He's no inferior employee or official. There's no question about that. He's threatening to subpoena president and drag him in front of a grand jury. I'm not aware of any U.S. attorney who's done that. He's demanding that the president of the United States answer a whole bunch of questions that really have nothing to do with any crime in order to set him up for impeachment. That's not an inferior official. That is a principal official. And I might add, unconstitutional on multiple levels. Mr. Rosenstein did not have the authority as a mere deputy attorney general to grant the kind of power that he granted to a third-party citizen because that, in effect, is what Mueller is and was. He pulled him out of retirement. He doesn't have the power to do that under our Constitution. He doesn't have the power to skirt the nomination process under our Constitution. He doesn't have the power to substitute his own ideas and thinking for that of the United States Senate on whether a man like Mr. Mueller, who's going to exercise all this enormous power, essentially unchecked, effectively unchecked, on whether Mr. Mueller has the credentials that the Senate would want. So, just like this indictment issue that I've pointed out time and time and time again over the last year, that Mr. Mueller does not have the power to substitute his authority for the impeachment clause of the Constitution. He does not have the power to substitute the authority of the Senate Only the Senate can remove a president. He doesn't have that power. According to his own Department of Justice. The fact is, because he has so much power, 
he should have no power at all under the appointments clause of the Constitution. None. You know, ironically, if the Deputy Attorney General of the United States on his own wanted to conduct this investigation, he would have had the authority, not to indict, but to conduct this investigation. If the United States Attorney, any United States Attorney, nominated by the President, confirmed by the Senate, wanted to conduct an investigation of this sort, putting aside all the the, the other issues and problems and so forth and so on, just focus on the Appointments Clause, he would have that authority to do it. But uniquely, Mr. Mueller does not. Mr. Mueller didn't go through the process. And it was important that the president, as I mentioned Thursday night on the Hannity show, get to the bottom of what's taken place in his own campaign because it's more than about his own campaign. It's about the conduct of the FBI, the Department of Justice, the CIA, and these other entities which are under him as the president of the United States. He does not have to stand still as Schumer demands. As all the former Obama appointees demand, of course they do. They want him gummed up in the works that they created. They want him to sink in their own uh, swamp that they created. The president doesn't have to do that. And he's not. And he's not. James Clapper should have his ass dragged in front of a federal grand jury for a whole week. And they ought to go soup the nuts to find out what this what this man was up to and what this man did. John Brennan ought to have his ass dragged in front of a federal grand jury for exactly the same reason. Jim Comey, exactly the same reason. Sally Yates, same reason. Susan Rice, same reason. Samantha Power, same reason. It's been done to all the Trump people. All the people in the White House, all the people in the Trump transition, all the people in the Trump campaign dragged through the mud for no reason. In this case, there are reasons. Sometimes I feel like we're living in the old Soviet Union. All right, we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. From my perch here, the best counsel I possibly can to this president and to the people around him and to the people who've been sucked into this, this unconstitutional police state activity. I'm giving the best counsel I can. It is the best counsel available anywhere. It just is. Because I'm not shooting from the hip. I get all kinds of people writing me about all kinds of things related to this. 99.9% of it is inconsequential. But I want to tell you something. We former officials in the Reagan administration. We former officials at the United States Department of Justice under Attorney General Ed Meese. We know what we're talking about. That administration and that Justice Department 
launched constitutional conservatism, launched originalism. And we made the case every single day. You can't even name most of the assistant attorneys general at the Justice Department today, can you? And you see the deputy attorney general, he's a bureaucrat. That's not the way the Justice Department was populated when I was there. And for most of the time, I was responsible for making many of the lower level appointments. And of course, the attorney general was responsible for the senior positions, and really all of them. But they all had to reach, all to make, reach certain standards. And many of us still talk to each other. And I am telling you, just like I told you, that under Department of Justice memos, a president cannot be indicted. Just like I told you, a president cannot be forced to appear before a federal grand jury. and never has been. Just like I told you in March of 2017 that the federal government under Barack Obama, including the FBI and the Department of Justice and the intelligence agencies, unleashed a campaign of espionage against a candidate for president of the United States. Nobody had said that. Not a single person. You got it. You know that to be the case. I am telling you right now that a strong argument can be made. I don't know what a judge would do with it. You know, that's a whole other issue. Look what they did to uh, Trump on the immigration issue. But a strong argument can be made, a strong constitutional argument can be made based on the facts of this specific appointment with this specific special counsel and his specific behavior that this is a violation of the appointments clause of the Constitution, which nobody ever talks about, right? All of a sudden you're going to see, oh, professor, oh, the appointments clause, oh, yes, yes, former... Uh, U.S. Attorney, yes, like I've been saying, the appointments clause. Stay with me. I know what I'm doing. Now, for some of you, a very small percentage of you on my social site saying, okay, great, what are you going to do about it? I'm not doing anything about it. I don't have the power to do anything about it. I have to use my brain power to convey information. So that people who are in positions of power and people who, are, who have standing, that's the key word, standing, can raise these issues in court. And so what I would suggest to the Manafort attorneys, who I've never talked to in my life, but I'm doing it over the air, is that you amend your filings with Judge Ellis, and I don't know if he's just another blowhard or what. We'll find out. But you amend it that not only was the scope of Mueller's appointment violated by Mueller, but that the fact of his appointment, and since then, number one, the original appointment, enormously broad, without any criminal basis. Number two, the expansion of his power. Number three, the minimal oversight being provided by the Deputy Attorney General. Number four, the fact that he has as much, if not more, power than a sitting United States Attorney. These are just some of the arguments you can make to the federal judge to say that his appointment is unconstitutional. Everything that flows from it is unconstitutional. He is a principal officer. There's no way to say that he's not really. Uh, he's got an enormous amount of power. He's got an enormous amount of uh, a breadth of authority. He's not a, 
an independent counsel under a statutory scheme where you can go to a, a special court uh, that can oversee him. None of that exists here. And moreover, uh, in his case, uh, the fact of the matter is he's not being managed. And look, you can get words, you can get even from, uh, what's his name, from uh, Rosenstein saying, look, he's independent, he's special, and so forth and so on. And one of the interesting things is he took some <coughs> of the investigative work that had been going on in the Eastern District of uh, Virginia, in that U.S. Attorney's Office, and he used it himself. That's more evidence. More evidence that his appointment is unconstitutional. Just more evidence that his appointment is unconstitutional. So there's many arguments that could be made here. And they should make them all. As far as I'm concerned. And hopefully this issue will go viral. Knowing the backbenchers as I do, hopefully it will. Some people say, who do you mean by the backbenchers? Let me, let me just discuss that for a minute. I owe you an explanation. I have many friends in this business some of whom are nationally syndicated hosts, some of whom are local hosts. They're really good people in this business, and then there's the rest. Who want you to think they're clever, they're funny, they're smart, as they steal work that everybody else does, or steal stuff off websites and so forth and so on. I I really shouldn't even put them down anymore. That's their capacity. That's what they can do. Okay, fine. But I would say this to them right now. If you're going to plagiarize, plagiarize now. Please. You can take the appointments clause argument and pretend it's yours. Do it. We have a country to save. We have a country to save. Same with cable. Same with cable. You heard it here first. My buddy, Professor Calabrese, writes me. We go back and forth. And I found his argument... Brilliant argument, enormously compelling. I've added my own little meat to it as well, but he deserves all the credit in the world. But we need to push this argument out there. For the Republic, that's why. I told you, I'm on a mission here. I don't just come here to play footsie. I'm on a mission here. My mission is to do everything I can, everything we can as Americans, to protect this Republic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have a lot of interesting calls here. We have a lot of very interesting, really insane comments here by Democrats. We'll get to all of it. I'll be right back. Some people talk about the Tea Party. We are the Tea Party. Call in now. 877-381-3811. You know, ladies and gentlemen, sure, you could have harsh treatment to look younger. Why on earth would you do that, by the way? I have a better idea. Listen to Joanne from Connecticut. She said, my husband looks 10 years younger using Genesel. He saw results the first day he used it. I've also had remarkable results. Can't be without it. And this is what my buddy Teddy says, too. He's a very, very prominent heart doctor. And a dear friend, he and his lovely wife. And uh, he uses it. Son of a gun looks good. Now imagine the bags and puffiness under your eyes gone. And watch those sagging, droopy eyelids disappear. 
That's years off your appearance. Genesel by Chamonix is an easy choice. Genesel contains natural ingredients for incredible results safely and quickly. It's as simple as that. In fact, I want you to listen to this. With immediate effects, you'll see results like Joanne's in as little as 12 hours or your money back, guaranteed. Can't be that. And right now is the perfect time to try Chamonix's brand new Genesel eyelid lift for droopy, sagging eyelids. Order Genesel today and get the brand new Genesel eyelid lift absolutely free. Go to Genesel.com, Genesel.com, or better yet, call us. 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Call now and express shipping is also free. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. All right. Sean in Irvine, California, XM Satellite. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, with all due respect, um, we, if listening to your show, we wouldn't know that we found out about more collusion. But this time with Saudi Arabia and some other Gulf country, if, for us to not let Bob Mueller and have faith in Bob Mueller. Get uh, uh, hold on. Hold, what, what was the collusion with Saudi Arabia? Second Trump Tower meeting. It was it was not been denied. Whoa, 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 whoa. What happened at this meeting? He was offered help from the Saudi royal family and from another Gulf country. And what help did he get? We we don't know yet. But if he's oh, we don't know yet. He's willing to let me let me, let me educate you, pal, because obviously you don't understand liberty. The way investigations are supposed to occur is you need a predicate. You know what a predicate is? Do you know how to spell it? Do you know what a predicate is? Yeah, but we don't have the evidence. Predicate is, pal, I don't start investigating you, Sean in Irvine, California, to find out if you violated the uh, tax code, to find out if uh, you're running drugs, to find out if you met with the Saudi Arabians, to find That's not how this works. I need a predicate. I'm being appointed as the special counsel. I'm a citizen. I'm yanked from obscurity back into the government. I've hired seven prosecutors to go with me and you don't get the oh you had a meeting with the Saudis and they wanted to influence this and influence that let me tell you a little secret foreign governments want to influence our elections all the time as long as they don't go over the line and do so monetarily they're actually allowed to just as we try to influence elections all the time I know this comes to a shock as a shock to you but we never had a criminal investigation of Jim Wright and what he was doing with the uh, Nicaraguan uh, Sandinista communists. We never had a criminal investigation of Ted Kennedy when he was trying to get the Kremlin to interfere in our elections in 1983 to defeat Ronald Reagan. We never had any of that stuff. So you don't need to call me and lecture me about a meeting with the Saudis. Here's what I would say to you about a meeting with the Saudis. I would bet that nothing came out of that, nothing criminal came out of that. That's just another piece of crap you guys throw against the wall that you expect us to chase. Well, guess what? I and my audience don't chase crap. Now get off my phone, you idiot. And that's that. Nothing I said about the Constitution sucking, uh, stuck in, uh, with this guy in his mush head. Nothing. Nothing. Not a word of it. Not a word of it. He doesn't care about spies or a spy in the Trump administration, excuse me, in the Trump campaign. He doesn't care about abuses of the FISA court. He doesn't care about abuses by the FBI and the Justice Department in the FISA application. He didn't bring up the unmasking of American citizens who just so happened to be tied to Trump and the leaking of the name of Michael Flynn, an obvious felony. Not a word. 
He didn't say to me, you know what? Obama should have stood up to the Russians when they were interfering in our election. Rather than Susan Rice saying in August of 2016, stand down and don't give any issues to the president, don't box them in. If they really cared about Russian interference in our election, why aren't they going after Obama? Why aren't they going after Rice and Brennan and Comey and the rest of the miscreants and malcontents? It was on their watch that the Russians were interfering with our election. I'll tell you why. Because they were interfering with our election. They used every tactic they possibly could, law enforcement and counterintelligence, against an American citizen and his campaign. The victim here is Donald Trump. The victim here is the Trump campaign. The victim here, the American people. And I will not be distracted. I will not be distracted with fools and foolish arguments. Ain't going to happen here. All right, let's continue, shall we? Nick, Washington, D.C., the great WMAL. Go. Hey, Mark. uh, Great show tonight, uh, really laying everything out. A quick question for you. Earlier you were saying that the Virginia East District gave information on a case that I guess they were working on to the... Well, that was in the filings in in front of... uh, Judge uh, Ellis, correct. Why is that an issue? Uh, Can you just explain that? That was my only question. Yeah, two reasons why it's an issue. Number one, it was dormant. They didn't do anything with it. And number two, why do you need a special counsel to go back and do the job? There's still a U.S. attorney in the Eastern District. You're aware of that, right? Yes, sir. So why would the special counsel go into that office, take that information and run with it, when the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District did not? I guess. That's number one. Number two, it underscores the point I made about the Constitution, which is this guy's acting not just like a U.S. attorney, but actually more powerful than a U.S. attorney, which is why his appointment is unconstitutional. Right. He, never went through the, he never went through the confirmation process. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate it. Have a great one. All right, buddy. You take care. Hey, hey, did you hear? Ooh, they had a meeting with the Saudis. They had a meeting with the Saudis. Oh, my goodness. They, 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 they had a me- What happened? Well, you know, the Saudis wanted to help in the election. Of course they did. They wanted to survive a Hillary Clinton administration. But what did they do? Well, I don't know. We're still looking. We're always looking. Always looking. Because the goal here is anything. Get them on anything. Get them, get them, get them. Meanwhile, the Clinton Foundation money laundering operation, Hillary Clinton there at Secretary of State, every damn freak, every genocidal maniac, every dictator, conga line coming through, meeting, paying the foundation, on and on. Nobody cares about, hey, how did he get paid? You're distracting us from Trump. I want you to listen to this guy, James Clapper. James Clapper allegedly, reportedly, was a leaker to CNN. Now he's employed by CNN. See how it works? You know what? I can't stand Vladimir Putin and what he's done doing there in Russia. But you know what? Russia TV is more accurate than CNN and MSNBC. And Russia TV is never accurate. Here's James Clapper. Why don't I give him a nickname, Mr. Producer? How about if I say James has Clapper? Should I say that? People understand what I mean. Here's J- And 
let's just do it. This. James has Clapper on CNN today with uh, Chris Cuomo. With a negative 17 IQ. Cut one, go. President doesn't like it. Orders the DOJ. Investigate. You okay with that? Yeah, but no. You see, you see, this is, uh, this is, these are two pals, two left-wing kooks. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Clap. Can I call you Clap? You know what? I'm going to call him Clap, too. Let's give him a nickname. How about James the Clap? Let's just say it. May I say that, Mr. Producer? James the Clap and uh, Chris Cuomo. Combined IQ of uh, positive seven. And here's what I'm going to ask you, uh, James. What's that? I mean, Jim, may I call you Clap? Of course you can. Everybody calls me Clap. All right, Clap. Uh, President doesn't like orders. You okay with that? You okay? Now, notice Cuomo doesn't say, you know, Clap, we have a situation here where the New York Times outed a guy by the name of Steve Halper. Washington Compost did too, but you know, one at a time. So, as an informant who was reporting to the FBI, and he'd been a former CIA informant, so surely you're familiar with him, aren't you? And uh, he was working in the Trump campaign. What do you think about that, Clap? No, that's not what he asks, because it's CNN, the Titanic of ratings. Start at the top again, please. Cut one, go. President doesn't like it, orders the DOJ, investigate. You okay with that? No, I'm not. I think that's uh, actually a very disturbing assault on the independence of the Department of Justice. All right, let, let, let's stop. Ladies and gentlemen, the Department of Justice is not independent from the rule of law. It's not independent from justice. It's not independent from the Constitution. we got to stop this stuff. The President of the United States is not supposed to interfere with specific investigations for political purposes. And that would be Clapp and his ilk in the Obama administration trying to take down a candidate. What Trump said here is he's, he's directed that the Deputy Attorney General and the Director of the FBI find out what the hell took place here. And Clapp's all upset about it. And so is his mouthpiece, Chris. Chris Cuomo. Go ahead. And uh, I think when the president, this president or any president, tries to use the Department of Justice as kind of a, a private investigatory body, that's... Uh, it's not using it as a private investigatory... What are you, an idiot? Yes, he is an idiot. Uh, private investigatory... Go ahead. For the country. So their argument is pretty clear, which is, it's not about me, it's about we. Uh, they're spying on me. They could spy on anybody. This is dirty tricks. This is deep state. Uh, this is the surveillance that he feels happened in his Trump Tower, even though we don't have any proof of it. It's how they look at the FISA warrants. Dirty deeds. Uh, and he's going to look into it. It'll get political currency. He does have members of his party who back this. What's your concerns about? Well, what a question. Oh, wow. Wow, Chris. You're really swell. You're so smart. Wow, did you see? You deserve a prime time show. Stupid on demand. There you go. Go ahead. Well, uh, for exactly the same reason, uh, politicizing uh, what is... Ah, shut up, you idiot. You believe this guy was director of national intelligence? He should be director of national stupid. Uh, what? Also, the guy lied twice before Congress under oath. Why isn't he wearing an orange suit in prison? 
Instead, he's wearing a, a gray suit and he's on CNN. Well, same thing, really. Now, Sally Yates. We'll get to her. She's on the morning schmo. The morning schmo, Joe Scarborough, just shows you what a complete loathsome nobody this guy is. He finds every miscreant he possibly can and runs him through his show. Because he hates Trump. There you have a network that has a nitwit as a host who has as his purpose to settle personal scores. And sitting next to him happens to be Zbigniew Brzezinski's daughter. Uh, that says enough. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hey, 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 did you hear? Somebody in the Trump campaign went with the Saudis. Hey, did you hear? Obama gave the Iranians $1.8 billion for hostages and cash. Hey, hey, did you hear? Obama gave the Iranians $150 billion. Hey, did you hear? No, 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 but it's the Saudis. No, 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 I don't want to focus on the Saudis. I want to focus on the Iranians. You can't do that. Hey, did you hear? See, this is what the left's doing and the media are doing it. They're throwing out these little... You know, firecrackers out there, so you miss the, the, uh, the neutron bombs that have been thrown at the Trump people. Let's chase the Saudi Arabia thing. Forget about espionage now against the, uh, against the Trump campaign and domestic police state act. Uh, it's Saudi Arabia. Oh, everybody face that direction and run. Uh, no, no thanks. Our feet are firmly planted and we ain't moving them right here. All right, Mr. Producer, here we go. For those who suffer from allergies, or quite frankly, like me, you know, you have asthma and so forth, it seems like things are only getting worse and spring will never end. Pollen counts have hit record highs across the country and millions of people are miserable. As a matter of fact, you go outside of my bunker right now with my car out there, it is loaded with pollen. Now, you probably already know this because it feels like your face is about to fall off. And to make matters worse, a recent consumer study suggests that most Americans are unaware that new air filters can help with sneezing and itchy eyes. Fight your allergies at the source instead of wasting money on pills, disgusting syrup, or a shot in the bum for your nurse ratchet. You need to visit my friends at filterby.com, and they are a great little company, American company, small business. They are America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. You know what? They carry over 600 sizes. If you're one of those difficult people, they can make custom filters for you too. Plus, they ship free within 24 hours. If that isn't enough, they're manufactured in America. So there's really no excuse because right now you can save 5% when you set up auto delivery like I do. It just makes it very easy, comes on schedule, and you just swap them out. Swap out the old and bring in the new. Additionally, you extend the life of your HVAC system. It's getting hotter outside. The last thing you need is a busted HVAC system on top of the allergies. So you can save time, save money, breathe better with FilterBuy.com. I know I do. That's FilterBuy, B-U-I.com, FilterBuy.com, and tell them Mark sent you. That's Mark. Tell them Mark sent you. Okay. What else is bubbling on our call screen here? Let's take a look, shall we? 
Any more liberals out there that want us to focus on Saudi Arabia? I don't think so. John, Oyster Bay, New York, the great WABC. Go. Go. Yes, John. John in Oyster Bay, New York. Are you still there? All right. Peggy, Fresno, Fresno, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go ahead, please. Yes. Hi, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. And uh, actually, I live in uh, Visalia, which rhymes Congratulations. You uh, you grow nice onions over there. Yeah. Well, um, I'm not a native Californian. I'm from the East Coast. All right. uh, What's up? Maryland originally. But anyway, um, I had a question for you. Yes. Um, Judge T.S. Ellis. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. It's T.S. Ellis, the third. The third, you're right. Okay. And uh, he received that unredacted memo on Friday, last Friday. Uh, On the scope of the appointment of Mueller, correct. Right. And uh, from what I gather, the... uh, What's your question? My question is, do you have any update as to what the judge's ruling on that is? No, no, and apparently parts of it are at least uh, said to be classified. So he'll have to digest that and so forth. Again, I'm just hoping he's not a windbag, that he said all these things didn't mean one word. I hope hope he'll uh, hold their feet to the fire. But again, I would encourage the Manafort lawyers over the air here to expand their challenge to include the appointments clause. Look, we can't control what judges will do with these arguments, but this is a very solid position that Calabrese laid out and that I've laid out with him in the first hour. Thank you, ma'am, very much. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Now, Sally Yates, you may recall, was Deputy Attorney General during at least part of the Obama administration. She's a left-wing kook. She was acting attorney general for a very brief time until the president had to fire her because he was undermining his presidency when it came to the issue of refugees. She refused to represent the president of the United States. Uh, she got a, uh, a high five from Andrew Weissman, who's now the number two so-called special counsel investigator, Uh, And he also appeared at the Hillary Clinton victory party. Of course, she lost, but didn't matter. And uh, there's at least part of the cabal right there. Now, also turns out we learned that she signed the uh, certainly the first um, FISA application for a warrant against, among others, Carter Page. Uh, That application failed to provide a sufficient amount of information to the judge about the source of the dossier and who paid for it. That's Sally Yates. And so bad is she that Joe Scarborough thought that she should come on his show. And let's take a look or listen at what the two geniuses had to discuss. Cut to go. 
Obviously, the Trump administration, Donald Trump himself, accusing the Obama administration of improperly targeting his campaign for an investigation. <laughs> uh, what's your response to everything you've heard over the weekend? Well, obviously, I'm not going to comment on the specific facts there. It's really up to the Department of Justice to decide what information should be made public with respect to that. But, you know, I think what we're seeing here is the president has just taken his all-out assault on the rule of law to a new level. Mm -hmm. And this time he is ordering up an investigation of the investigators who are examining his own campaign. You know, that's really shocking. Wow, that's so Shocking. He's trying to get down, uh, trying to get down, uh, determine whether or not the information in the New York Times. You know, this is the amazing thing. We learned more from the New York Times. That's why I went through it very carefully. Is that what we're doing for Best of, Mr. Producer? A Memorial Day. I want you to, I hope if you folks are in the car driving, you know, you're stuck in traffic, I hope you'll listen to the Mark Levin radio show because we're going to play that show. Well, here I am minding my own business, and we find that article. It's popped out <clears throat> late to mid, uh, mid to late afternoon, and we go through it line by line by line. It's the New York Times that exposed the existence of a spy. Now tries to walk it back. And when you have that, when you have the FISA warrant issue, uh, when you have Fusion GPS and the collusion with the Russians by Hillary Clinton and the DNC who fund it and all these other things going, according to Sally Yates, who was trying to stick uh, former Lieutenant General and hero Mike Flynn on the Logan Act, this is out of line. She is a dis- she is a disgrace. Absolute pathetic disgrace. And so is Joe Scarborough with that bulbous W.C. Fields nose of his. And that deliverance banjo-playing kid on the bridge look-alike of his. And of course, that's what Mika Brzezinski sees in him. She loved that movie, apparently. Cut two, go. Tell us what sign or what moment... Now, the slow-talking, dumb-sounding voice you hear is Joe Scarborough. Go from the top. Cut. Uh, what is it? Cut. Uh... Oh, now we're on Nick Conforso. Who the hell is Nick Conforso? Is he in the round table? Okay. Nick Confessor, or whatever his name is, a, a Joe Scarborough favorite, apparently. Cut three. Go. Tell us what sign or what moment w- w- would, would for you be a dangerous break? What would be? Ah, this- <laughs> so they bring in an Obama flack. So tell us. What would be a dangerous break with the Trump people? You know what? This is so disgusting. I'm not even playing this jerk anymore. This propaganda TV. You want to know Russia TV? There's your Russia TV right there. Now, Adam Shiftless, Shifty Shiftless. He's back. He's on Meet the Depressed. And I would say this to Chuck Todd. You can't do any better than this. This is why your ratings are flat, all you guys. Your ratings suck. Can you imagine what I could do with this Meet the Depressed show on NBC? Oh, my Lord. They would never seen it. They could never tolerate it. I don't meet their uh, political litmus test. I, I don't want to do it. I'm not, that's not even my point. Let's hear what he has to say on Meet the Depressed. And he goes on for well over a minute, really, without much interruption. Go ahead. The Justice Department, the FBI, even the White House, although clearly not the president, 
uh, has said that revealing information about this individual could uh, compromise uh, people's lives. Now, wait a minute. Who revealed information about this individual? The New York Times and the Washington Post. The New York Times and the Washington Post revealed information about this individual. Now, it could compromise his life, they say. Why, are the Democrats going to kill him? Who's after him? Although, you know, if if Teddy was around, Ted Kennedy, they could say, hey, we want you to take a ride with Teddy, wink, wink. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, Betray a relationship with our allies. Uh, It could compromise the investigation. Listen to this idiot whining on and on about their professor. Halper, apparently. Listen, it got killed, it could compromise our investigation, it could do all these things, you know. Mr. Leaker here. Mr. Depends. Adam Shifty Shiftless. Go ahead. Response and Chairman Nunes, uh, Jordan and Gowdy and others is bring it on. Uh, we don't care. Whatever is in the service of the president we're willing to do. Yeah, the- really? Really? I thought that was you with Obama. He's a creepy little guy, isn't he? He's a creepy little guy. Shifty. Now, you want to hear another creepy guy, this Mark Warner. This is why I've told you many times, some very, very rich people are very, very stupid people. They either fell into luck or they know how to make a buck or something like that. It doesn't mean they're smart. And case in point is Mark Warner. He's asked a question by somebody named Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation. This is why these Sunday shows suck. This is why you watch my show at 10 p.m. I mean, these shows are insufferable. You have to lower your IQ. Go. Called for those agencies to hand over documents to Congress. To your knowledge, has there been any such action by those agencies? I have no knowledge of such actions. I do know this, that when the president or his allies in the House start going out and trying to threaten that they want to reveal they hate Devin Nunes, boy. They hate Devin Nunes because, as I spotted early on, I had him on the program. The guy's a hero. Even Republicans were attacking Nunes. Even talk show hosts were attacking Nunes. Even columnists who now love Nunes were attacking Nunes. Ask Nunes. He'll tell you. I think there were two of us defending Nunes, Hannity and me. Go ahead try to reveal classified information about the identity of an FBI or CIA Hey, Mark, Mark. Are you wearing a raincoat and standing on the corner? Yes. Calling people over to show your wares? I'm just curious. No, Mark. Nobody identified the spy, except, of course... Your favorite newspapers, the Holocaust-denying New York Times, and the bankrupt Washington Compost. And since when are you worried about CIA operatives anyway? Huh? Since when are you worried about them? Who's out to get this guy, Halper? Who's out to harm him or kill him? Seriously, I'm curious. Only thing I can think of are the Democrats to quiet him down. And I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek. This guy, I'll tell you what, then he ought to be in the witness protection program. I mean, the guy is spying on the Republican candidate. I'm sorry. I feel nothing for this guy except contempt. And if the government were worried about his safety, they never should have put him in this position in the first place because we want to get to the bottom of this. 
We want to know who it is. We're not talking about some guy spying on the Chinese or the Russians or the Iranians or North Koreans. We're talking about some guy spying on Donald Trump's campaign. You're damn right we want to know who he is. Matter of fact, I want to know this little rogue cabal of FBI agents who took it upon themselves to launch an investigation. I want to know their names, too. What do you think of that? No, no, no. Only the Trump people get their names dragged through the dirt. Only they have to run up their legal bills. Only they have to leave government after being harassed. No, no. Don't you see? These liberals are compassionate. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. That is against the law. Ah, shut up, you idiot. Now, speaking of, let's circle back to Joe Scarborough. Let's listen to this this genius. To this Antonin Scalia of MSLSD. You can't miss him. He's the slow-talking, barely literate numbskull. Cut seven, go. The president is breaching constitutional norms once again. You, you, other than Richard Nixon, you cannot find in America's wonderful 240-year history the president of the United States ordering the Justice Department to investigate an investigation that pertains to the president himself. Really? Really? You must not be familiar with the Robert Kennedy Justice Department, genius. You must not be familiar with Robert Kennedy and his, his dealings with J. Edgar Hoover. Robert Kennedy agreeing to the bugging of Martin Luther King's phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. All the cover-ups that took place. Remember with Monroe? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, there's never been anything like this with the president of the United States ordering an investigation that pertains to him. He's not ordering an investigation that pertains to him. He ordered an investigation that pertains to us. He wants to know what was done in the last campaign, doofus. And we have a right to know whether you like it whether the people who give you your paycheck for which you've sold out like it, whether the corporation that owns your your show likes it, Comcast. And by the way, I'm sick as hell of this Comcast, too. Can I tell you something on the side, ladies and gentlemen? I've got multiple TVs in the uh, in the Levin household. Multiple TVs. So I dared to replace some of them with new TVs and hang some of them on the wall. Look pretty good. I said, hey, what the hell? What the hell? And uh, these geniuses that own MSLSD and NBC, I think it's still Comcast, isn't it, Rich? Took five visits from technicians. They get them to work. Five. The last guy was great. Old Sam. Sam knew what the hell he was doing. But Muhammad and uh, Magatma and the other one, they didn't know a damn thing. And I got to call my uh, supervisor. On the phone, the whole... So, well, it doesn't... Uh, had another guy sitting on the front steps. I think we need more uh, juice in the house. So we got enough juice in the house. Yeah, maybe you have too many TVs on the system. How do I know? That's you to tell me that. And you know what I'm paying? $450 or $60 a month. And the only show I can get on one of the screens where I do a little exercise every day... Uh, on the TV is uh, First Take with Stephen A. 
Other than that, I can't watch any TV, can't watch any shows, can't watch nothing. Nothing. He will send in a technician. Five and a half hours. This is the company that owns MSLSD and pays this slob, Joe Scarborough. Joe Scarborough knows no history, doesn't know the Constitution. Mika tells him what to say the night before. Go ahead. That is an abuse of power. That is a breaching of constitutional norms under any standards. And if it uh, No, it- no, no, dummy. It's not a breach of constitutional norms under any standards whatsoever. You wouldn't know a tyranny if it smacked you in your bulbous nose, would you? With the eyes close together, with the WC fields. No, I, I, I mean, obviously, Mika sees. All right. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know what? Let's listen to positive stuff. Mike Pompeo at the Heritage Foundation today was outstanding on Iran. Cut eight. Go. So the path forward. America's commitment to the Iran strategy President Trump laid down in October remains. It will now be executed outside of the JCPOA. We'll continue to work with allies to counter the regime's destabilizing activities in the region, block their financing of terror, and address Iran's proliferation of missiles and other advanced weapon systems that threaten peace and stability. We will also ensure Iran has no path to a nuclear weapon. Not now. Not ever. You know who's helping Iran against us? Europe. Europe has lined up behind Iran with the American press and the Democrat Party. So it is this president and his people and we conservatives lined up against the world, the Democrat Party and the American media. Now, how sick is that? Hey, you know what? Trump's people had a meeting with the Saudis. Cut nine. Go. Why unprecedented financial pressure on the Iranian regime. The leaders in Tehran will have no doubt about our seriousness. Thanks to our colleagues at the Department of Treasury, sanctions are going back in full effect and new ones are coming. Last week, we imposed sanctions on the head of Iran's central bank and other entities that were funneling money to the IRGC Quds Force. They were also providing money to Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations. The Iranian regime should know that this is just the beginning. This sting of sanctions will be painful if the regime does not change its course from the unacceptable and unproductive path it has chosen to one that rejoins the League of Nations. These will indeed end up being the strongest sanctions in history when we are complete. The regime has been fighting all over the Middle East for years. After our sanctions come in force, it will be battling to keep its economy alive. Iran will be forced to make a choice, either fight to keep its economy off life support at home or keep squandering precious wealth on fights abroad. It will not have the resources to do both. Oh, so radical. This is important. This is good, right? wonder what the Hillary administration would be doing about now. Do we have time for number 10, Mr. Producer? Go. The Iranian regime is going to ultimately have to look itself in the mirror. The Iranian people, especially the youth, are increasingly... Well, let me say this, quite frankly. If you've ever seen some of these mullahs... Be very painful for them to look in the mirror. Go ahead. Political and social change. The United States stands with those longing for a country of economic opportunity, government transparency, fairness, 
and greater liberty. We hope, indeed we expect, that the Iranian regime will come to its senses and support, not suppress, the aspirations of its own citizens. We're open to new steps with not only our allies and partners, but with Iran as well, but only if Iran is willing to make major changes. As President Trump said two weeks ago, he is ready, willing, and able to negotiate a new deal. But the deal is not the objective. Our goal is to protect the American people. Yep, very radical. I'll be right back. Bing, bing. You know, one of the questions we keep hearing from our fans, the radio show and the Fox News show, is about Levin TVs. Why do I need that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're getting access to a whole slew of outstanding conservative hosts with their own personalities, with their own content, with their own approaches. But what the common threshold is that we believe in liberty, we love our country, and we love our Constitution. And it is a magnificent collection of some of the best hosts in the country, some of whom you know, some of whom you know a little about, some of whom you may never have heard of before. But they're terrific. Now, let me talk about Levin TV. I make sure that 95% of the time, Levin TV is different than all the rest. Different than my radio show, different than my Fox show. And I'll tell you why. I have so many issues I want to discuss. And sometimes I want to get into philosophy and economics and history. Sometimes, depending on the format, I don't. I want to get into something else. So all these platforms provide an opportunity to listen to different kinds of information in a different way. That's why it's so wonderful. Here I am, radio. I started on radio. Radio is a very, very unique medium, and I love it. Then we started Levin TV. Again, a very, very unique medium, and uh, we're taking advantage of the newest technologies. So you can take it with you wherever you go. Watch it whenever you want, wherever you want. And then the Fox News Channel is just Sunday, one hour, completely different type of show, a one-hour interview program. I want to strongly encourage you to join us to come over to Levin TV and get all the other shows too. You'll get 30 days absolutely free to see if you like it. We've got Louder with Crowder. He's terrific. We've got Michelle Malkin. You know she's wonderful. My buddy Will Cal, Steve Dace, just so many. Oh, Phil Robertson, who I've come to know and really enjoy and so forth. Really, really wonderful shows. And they're all different. They're all different. And they're a lot of fun, too. So you'll get 30 days, your first 30 days, absolutely free. And now when you use code LEVIN, you'll also get $10 off your annual pass. So that means it's $89 a year. $89 a year, honestly? $89 spread over 12 months is a very small amount. What is it? One big lunch? $7.40 an a, a, a month. And I do 150 to 200 shows here, but all the other folks do too. I mean, it's wonderful. I know you're going to enjoy it. So give us a try. That's all we're asking. 
We'll get you set up, and you know what? You'll watch in five minutes, and you should start now because we have a hell of a big Levin TV that relates to the appointments clause and, and many other things. And then you can go back and look at other episodes if you want. You can watch it whenever you want. It's like downloading a podcast. You just download TV. It's like Dick Tracy stuff if you really think about it. It's incredible. Give us a call. If you don't give us a call, we can't get you started. That's all I ask. Call 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV. Let us get you set up. Try us for 30 days. If you like us, you'll get the $10 off, and you're off to the races. 844-LEVIN-TV. All right. There's a big race in Texas. I have a, uh, a very strong desire to see a particular candidate win because I've known him for years and years and years. I know he will help the country, let alone the 21st District, Congressional District in Texas. And his name is Chip Roy. Chip Roy, former chief of staff to Ted Cruz, and you work very, very closely uh, with all kinds of uh, conservative folks in the state of Texas. So Election Day is tomorrow. This is it, right? It is, Mark. Uh, election day is tomorrow. We had early voting all last week, and now t- uh, tomorrow's the big day, and we're excited. We've had a lot of great response throughout the district, and uh, appreciate you having me on tonight. Well, you know, the left-wing kook columnists in that district didn't like the fact that I endorsed you and that I couldn't get any straight answers from your opponent about his conservatism. No, you're right. Uh, you know, that's not unusual. Yeah, you're used to it. I'm used to it. Uh, they know when there's a conservative that's going to challenge uh, their way of thinking, and uh, they didn't they didn't like the way that that uh, unfolded. But look, I think it spoke volumes. Uh, nothing to focus on other than just simply my opponent couldn't answer the question. It was a simple question, and uh, the, I think uh, the voters really need somebody that they can trust to stand up for conservatism at this particularly important time where the president needs help with a Congress that is not getting him an agenda that we all need, and I think reflect the values of the people in this district and. I think as I've gone around the district and I've talked about what I believe and what I've stood for in my track record, my experience, uh, the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive and And uh, we're looking forward to getting as many voters as we can to turn out tomorrow. It's a turnout election and people need to show up to vote. You know, I, I don't even know if I'm at liberty to say this, but I feel I should say it. You know, you're a cancer survivor and yes. you're a man of deep faith and you have a wonderful family. And for a while there, it was touch and go. And, uh, and, and I got to know you because you worked for the governor there for a while. You've, uh, you've supported conservative causes throughout your life in the state of Texas, in Washington, D.C., as uh, Ted Cruz's first chief of staff. I asked your opponent a simple question. I asked him, what has he done that's conservative? And there was dead air. And this causes a lot of problems for me. When you're well into your 50s, as he is, and you can't answer that question. That tells me you haven't done a hell of a lot. And yet in your life, how old are you? 45. You're 45, and you've done a whole lot for the cause of conservatism. And uh, I think you'd help your district. So really, there's really nothing anybody can do other than encourage people in the 21st district to vote. Explain where the 21st district is, would you please, in Texas? Absolutely. It's right in the center of Texas in the Hill Country. It's a wonderful district that stretches from downtown Austin to North San Antonio and all out through the Hill Country uh, and you know, Fredericksburg and uh, Kerrville and all the way out uh, west. And uh, it's a great district. It's a beautiful district filled with great people. And, uh, look, no one has to wonder where I'm coming from. You know this. I have personally stood up and been involved in the fights that, that uh, we've all been watching over the last decade plus, whether it was stopping the 
uh, misguided Harriet Myers confirmation and getting Sam Alito, stopping immigration amnesty three times instead of border security, stopping uh, earmarks and that uh, failed process and getting cut cap and balance across the line, or uh, standing up in Texas against Medicaid expansion and against race to the top, or in the AG's office fighting against to protect Texas voter ID law and fighting against the president's illegal amnesty in the form of DAPA. You name it, I've been there fighting, stand by side by side with Ted Cruz to try to stop Obamacare in its tracks. And uh, this is a lifetime that has been in the private sector and the public sector fighting on behalf of Texans. And when I go out talking to people about it, they're energized about that. And, and I really appreciate uh, you having me on the show and helping make sure that message gets out. You know, it's interesting. Um, you're backed by Cruz. You're backed by Mike Lee, Jim Jordan, um, Mark Meadows, uh, Louis Gohmert. And your opponent says, well, the uh, what's he say? The deep state or whatever he says, the uh, the swamp is back in my opponent. I don't like to think I'm part of the swamp. Well, I do find it interesting that he refers to the, quote, swamp creatures that are endorsing me. And I, I you know, I've asked him and I've never gotten a good response. You know, which of my uh, wonderful endorsements would you turn down? You know, is Mark Levin, is Ted Cruz, is, as you said, Mike Lee or Jim Jordan or Mark Matters, are they swamp creatures? You know, or the wonderful grassroots people throughout this district that are supporting me, uh, whether it's the, uh, you know, Texas right to life. You know, I've gotten support by both of the life groups here and, the, and a lot of the conservative activist organizations on the ground and, and uh, mayors like former mayor of New Braunfels, uh, Susan Arvice, and I could go down a list, but people that are supporting me at the grassroots level and the people that have been fighting that we all trust to fight for us right now today to uh, stand up for our values, I'm proud to stand side by side with these folks without any question. I just know you'd be a superstar if you get there, and uh, uh, and and the other fella I just know would not be, and I think that's uh, that's the black and white of it. And I also think that uh, the people in your district, unlike my district, uh, with a guy like you, uh, really have a choice and really have an opportunity. And we've got to start sending Reagan conservatives, um, originalists, constitutional originalists like you are. You've written about it at great length. Uh, we've got to send them from our conservative states, Texas and so forth, to Washington. Because if we don't, it's all over. If we can't get a guy like you out of Texas, I don't know what we're, what, where we can go. But anyway, uh, so what's your final words to the people in your district? We have the opportunity of a lifetime right now to take our country back with a president that is willing to challenge the status quo, but he just needs a Congress who will actually do their job and remember that the founders gave them the Article One position in the Constitution to represent the people and to send him legislation that will dismantle the federal government and give it back to the people so that we can stand up and have our values reflected. We, we know we can do it, Mark. You're doing it every day. We're winning this fight, getting good folks elected like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows. The president is challenging the status quo. Let's send a few more reinforcements to Washington. That's why I'm running to pass down a better country to my kids than even I inherited. When I got through cancer, I promised them that I would leave everything on the field fighting for liberty and to give my kids a better country and that's what i'm doing and that's what the people of this district want so i'm asking them to show up to vote chiproy.com if you need more information show up to the polls tomorrow and get your friends to vote wish all the best my friend i really do and you take care of yourself mark thank you for everything thanks for what you do people should listen to your show on sunday night and and subscribe to crtv you're a great blessing to liberty thank you for everything you do well thank you and god bless you you'll notice folks i haven't had many candidates on this particular election cycle. I've had a handful. Uh, but I, I really feel strongly, 
if you live in the 21st district of Texas, I really want to encourage you to take a very, very close look at Chip. As I say, I've known him a long time, and um, it, it's not just a personal thing. I have a lot of personal friends who I would never vote for. I have distant family members I wouldn't vote for. Hell, I wouldn't even talk to them. So it has nothing to do with that. I just know the caliber of, of candidate, the caliber of human being that he is. Uh, and we would keep in touch when he was fighting cancer. And he was just a, a, a deep, decent, solid conservative. So I hope the people of Texas, the people in the 21st district, uh, will support him. The rest of the country, I know there's nothing you can do at this point. The election's tomorrow. But yeah, I bet you have candidates like this, or should, in your communities. I hope so. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, more than one million children became victims of identity theft in 2017. And families paid $540 million out of pocket to cover the cost of the fraud. Kids' identities are worth tons on the black market. Thieves open accounts and parents don't find out for years, often when they apply for financial aid and college, and it's a really terrible situation. With school and medical records now digitized, and even young kids routinely online, the risk is growing faster than ever. But you don't, you don't need to worry. You can protect your family right now with My ID Care. My ID Care covers you for the nine types of identity theft, including child ID theft, with great family plans. And they provide a 100% identity recovery guarantee or your money back. That's the difference between my ID care from the other guys. You need top-tier identity recovery, and they stand by it with their guarantee. You and your kids need protection, and you need my ID care. Learn more and get 15% off at myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. That's myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. One more time. This is very important. Myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. Well, what do we have? A few minutes left in the program. And of course, what happens? My call screen conks out. So, Mr. Producer, who shall I speak to? XM Satellite, the great state of Florida. Peter, go. How you doing, Mr. Levin? Thank you. It's an honor, and I appreciate all the intelligent things you've brought to us, uh, especially since you've become on TV. It's fabulous. I just wanted to know if you could uh, get into a little bit about the pin versus the wire and what it means to be read in and uh, how many people would be involved to be on a wire that, say, last uh, seven days a week. I, I have no idea the, between the pin and the wire. What's the pin and the wire? Oh, the pin is just the ability to... Uh, when you obtain a, uh, a warrant to listen to, not listen, but get the phone Oh, call that from, pin and wire. I thought you were talking about television technology. No, no, Because no, I was talking about, <clears throat> okay, well. 27 years, and I know you were in a, you uh, I'm sorry. All right, a wire, when you're tapping a wire, you're listening on the conversation. The pin the gentleman's talking about is, you're not really, you're not listening in on the conversation, but you're tracking the phone calls that, that come in and the phone calls that go out. It's that simple. That's correct. That's what I want. And I wanted to, if you could just let the people, the lay people know that when you, when you do get a wire and you, you listen, you have to, you have to shut it off. There's time limits that you can listen 
mm-hmm. and it has to be pertinent. The conversation has to be pertinent to what the what the search warrant gives you permission to hear. Or you have to shut it off. Uh, I don't know. But th- but this is why <coughs> the national security level. When you're picking up American citizens on the phone, when you have a running tap, let's say, we'll use that language, on the ambassador from Russia, and uh, the call comes in and it's Michael Flynn, you're supposed to protect Michael Flynn. Right, and I'm one of Michael Flynn's best friends since eight years old. Oh, you are? Yes, I am, sir, and I was in law enforcement for 27 years. I was with the DEA, and I was a detective commander, and I'm extremely distressed by... uh, well, they the set him up. The government is handling things. The way they, they, gov- they set him up the first round. The FBI guys said, you know, it's obvious he's not. He forgot. He's not intentionally lying. Then the Mueller guys swing back and they set him up. They set him up and I believe they changed the 302s. Um, I don't believe a lot of people understand. 302s. The 302s so I know folks, you do. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to have to explain it. A 302 for you folks know those are the notes that are taken by the investigators when they interview interview notes. Go ahead. Okay, it's just that I I feel he's been hung out to dry by them. Um, uh, He has been. He's an honorable servant to this country, a true American, and the way they've described him on television, just I can't even, uh, being knowing him since he was eight years old. I I have a feeling, sir, in the end, he's going to win out, but it's going to be very, very painful until we get to the end. I thank you for your call and your service, my friend, in uh, in law enforcement. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Check out Levin TV tonight. I know many of you say, eh, I don't know. Tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. Thank you for watching us on Fox Sunday night. I hope you enjoyed Gordon Chang and me. He was terrific. And I'll see you on the radio tomorrow. God bless and take care. Take care.